Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church is a new church plant in Tucson, Arizona. We welcome you to join us every Sunday morning at 1030 for worship, the word, and fellowship. If you would like more information, visit us online at wayfamily.church. I'm going to invite you to open to Jonah. We're going to continue our study in chapter 3. We've already seen chapter 1, chapter 2. Let's see what chapter 3 has to say. I'm going to be honest with you. I think this one's going to be a short one. Let's see what God does. <clears throat> so um, <clears throat> let me ask you a question. I don't know what kind of person that you are. If you are uh, the kind that learns from other people's mistakes or the kind of person that requires your own experience to learn. You know, I can say that I'm both depending on the price, depending on the cost. You know, sometimes it's worth just making the mistake and learning from it. And sometimes I feel like, yeah, ain't nobody got time for that, right? And so we learn from other people's mistakes. <clears throat> I think it's some, in some cases it's beneficial to learn from your own experience. And then there's some cases where it's very important to learn from the experiences of others, isn't it? <clears throat> uh, I, lo- I like what Donald Trump said here. I found a quote from him, and I'm going to share it with you. It's kind of funny. It says, always try to learn from other people's mistakes, not your own. It's much cheaper that way. And so that's a good example of when learning from other people's mistakes can save you money, right? Uh, Learning from other people's mistakes can also save you all kinds of things like time, like heartbreak, relationships, etc., right? Not just money. But this guy, you can tell, he thinks about money a lot, right? And so um, I, I also like what Eleanor Roosevelt says, FDR's wife, back, she was a first lady back in the day. She said, learn from the mistakes of others. You can't live long enough to make them all yourself. Now, when I came across this one, I thought, wait a minute, that's true. You can't live long enough to make them all yourself. I kind of understood that two ways. One, there are an endless amount of mistakes that you just don't have a lifetime to be able to get through all of them and and learn that way. And two, some, some mistakes can be costly as far as your life is concerned. You know, like you don't want to learn the hard way. What happens if I drive my car 100 miles per hour down the highway and then make a sharp left? Don't find out. Right. Just learn from someone else's wisdom and know that that's a really bad idea because it could cost you your life. And so I'm thinking like, yeah, it's, it's a very good idea to learn from others mistakes. But then again, there's also times where we have to learn from our own experiences. And, and it's OK. See, God allows us to be able to have these both of these. Um, but why am I bringing this up? One thing that I do, and if you've been part of our discipleship group, you've seen that, that when we're studying the word, one of the things that we're looking for is lists or comparisons and contrasts. And this was a very clear comparison and contrast that came up to me as I was reading this, this, this chapter in Jonah, uh, compared to what we read last week and in the weeks prior. And I'm just going to briefly recap. Jonah was a prophet, a man who heard the voice of God. He was commissioned to go and declare the word to Nineveh. And, you know, Jonah had a good track record. If you actually go back and read, I think it's Kings or Chronicles. I'm not sure. But Jonah was known to be a prophet. He was he was verified as one who carried the word of God and proclaimed it until he was called to go to Nineveh. Then he didn't like that very much. And we discussed he had good reason for it because those people were just vile and violent, you know. And so he didn't want to go there. And so instead of listening to God's wisdom and trusting the Lord, he decides to take matters into his hands right and so he runs and while he's 
on the run. He's in a ship and the ship hits a big storm. God's trying to get his attention. And instead of coming to repentance and getting the, the hint, you know, taking the clue, hey, I am out of line here. I should probably stop what I'm doing, turn around and do things the right way. He actually allowed the experience to continue to unfold, didn't he not? Until he was in the belly of a whale or a fish. And at that point, when he experienced death, pretty much, he was at the doors of death. Then he came to repentance. That's what was, that's what required for Jonah to come to that place where he was willing to turn around and do what he was called to do. And now we're going to read about the Ninevites. How did they respond to the word of the Lord? It's a very interesting, I would say, contrast here. Jonah, the man of God, responds a certain way, learns from his experience. And now we're going to see what the Ninevites do and how they respond to the word of God. Let's read Jonah chapter 3. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people in Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us understand what you have here for us, that we would just not be hearers of your word, but doers. Help us, Lord Jesus, just engage with this. Help us know how to apply it to our lives today, Father. Open up our minds and hearts to be able to receive from you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, did you see a difference here? Jonah learns the hard way. The man of God learns the hard way. And then we have this proclamation, this word of God that is proclaimed to the Ninevites. And their reaction is quite different, isn't it? They don't just kind of wait and see what happens. They take... Um, they take the initiative to turn from their ways and to respond to that uh, message that Jonah had brought. So what I want to do is I want to back up, go over this again and just break it down and see what's going on here. Verse one says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Now, this is a huge thing. This is actually a remarkable statement of God's grace to Jonah. 
You know, it also rings true for us, doesn't it? Because God does not give us just a single shot. It's not like, hey, get it right the first time or you're going to be doomed, right, to destruction. No, he gives us an opportunity to respond. He gives us an opportunity to learn, doesn't he? He gives us an opportunity to respond in faithfulness to his call. He's a God of second chances, sometimes third, fourth, fifth. That doesn't mean (laughs) that we need to take all of them, right? Because he gives them as he sees he's fit. And indeed, because of the work of Christ, God will never give up or quit on us. Because Jesus Christ died for us and because we've received him as our Lord and Savior, you know that God's going to continue to work through us and for us, right? And so that's a a good promise. But what we see here is that the Lord, or the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Now, this is a big deal for Jonah because if you remember last week in chapter 2, Jonah was kind of praying and making a clear remark of his distress, feeling like his time was over, feeling like God perhaps would abandon the calling that he had set over him because he rebelled and he knew that, all right? But the fact of the matter is that Jonah doesn't just rest, I'm I'm sorry, God doesn't just rescue Jonah from drowning. He he sends a fish and, and has him spit out on shore, but then he gives him an opportunity to go and do what he was created to do, and that was proclaim God's word to the Ninevites. And this time, Jonah responds in a way that he probably, he should have responded this way the first time, shouldn't he? And so it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against the message that I tell you. And so Jonah rose, and he went to Nineveh. This is an act of obedience, finally. Jonah knows what happens if we don't obey God. Jonah knows what happens if we try to thwart his plan or at least not participate in it. He knows what happens if he takes matters into his own hands and not do what he was called to do. He is this time trusting the Lord. And so through that, he's obedient to the call to go to Nineveh, even though we know he didn't want to go there. It's pretty clear that he doesn't like these people, but nevertheless, he's going and, 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 and he's going to proclaim the word of the Lord. Now, when we, we talk about the word of the Lord, what does that mean? What is the word of the Lord, right? From beginning to Revelation, from Genesis to Revelations, we know that the Bible is a single narrative. It's one story, all right? It's made out of different books, different authors, but it's a single narrative, and it all points to Christ from the beginning to the end. Everything is about the redemption. Why? Because there's a fall. There's the sin that entered the world caused decay, destruction, brokenness in our world. And so we see this redeemer that is to come in the Old Testament. He is to come. And so they preach looking forward or ahead to that. And in the New Testament, we see that it is finished through the cross. And so this is the good news. This is the word of God. This is the proclamation. But here's the thing, though. We have to know the gospel. I don't know if you have ever heard a clear presentation of the gospel, if you have a clear understanding of what that means, because I bet you that many Christians in this world have heard the good news, right? But it doesn't really mean much to them because they don't understand the bad news. In order to really understand the good news, you have to have a clear understanding of the bad news, don't you? And then the good news becomes great news. So what is the bad news? The bad news is that God created everything and created it good, did he not? Let me read you this passage, and and I don't have this because this is all God right now. Colossians 1, 
uh, 16 says, For by him, for by God, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. See, Nineveh was created through him and for him, wasn't it? But sometimes we make the assumptions and we think that is not something that is godly. And, and sometimes it's very clear. You can tell that Satan's kind of overrun and tainted that. But what we know is that God created everything and he created it good. And it is his, his, I'll say his will, whether or not he restores, redeems, or, dis, or, or brings judgment or redemption to anything. It is his creation. Romans chapter 2 says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm, still, I'm sorry, it's Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So here's the problem. Even though something was created well, we have sinned, sin entered the world. And here's the, here's the consequence for that, is that God being just and loving, he's going to deal with sin. He's going to deal with the rebellion. That's what sin is. Sin is rebellion against God. And so what does that mean? As long as we're found in sin, we are guilty of that. And so also in Romans, it says that the wages of sin is death. What is a wage? Wage is something that you earn. It's something that is due to you. Death is due to you because of that sin. That's the bad news. All right. And then the good news comes in hand when we read about Jesus. When we read about Jesus, then we see that God provides a way for redemption. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your doing, but it is the gift of God not a result of work, so that no man may boast. It's literally nothing you can do to be set right before God, but it's all about what Jesus has already done for you, and that's the bottom line. Why? Because Jesus is perfect, being God, being part of the triune God, right? He came into the world, he took on flesh, and he said, I will go ahead and pay the price that, that is due to them, or that they owe and that is death. And so that's why he went on the cross, and that's why the cross is a big deal. It's not just a, a, a thing like what someone says, hey, you know what, I'm gonna do something remarkable and hang on a cross for people. No, that actually meant something. It's called atonement. That means to wipe your slate clean, to pay your debt. That's what Jesus does for us. And so the gospel keeps going there, and, and he gives us life. It says in five, Eight, but God shows his love that in while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. There truly is no greater love than that is there. So our responsibility, therefore, is to respond. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's what we do. That's the only thing we can do is to respond to what, what Christ has done for us. All right? Now, that was fresh off the hot the press. Oh, fresh hot off the press right there. I didn't even plan for that. But here's the thing, is we have to have a clear understanding of the gospel. Now, most of you are familiar with John 3.16, are you not? Let's say that together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Doesn't, doesn't that passage sound very loving and kind and compassionate? You know, and we think, wow, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That is so great. That tells me that God loves me. But some, I feel like something that we miss sometimes is that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Why would we perish? Have you thought about that? 
Have you thought of the fact that there is judgment that comes, right? And it's the judgment that is due because we owe that punishment for sin, that wage, which is death because of our sin. And so the fact of the matter is that there is good news, but unless you realize the bad news, it doesn't mean much. And what happens here in this passage in Jonah is the Ninevites hear the bad news first, all right? It is clear what the bad news is, and that is, in 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. What if someone said that about Tucson? In 40 days, Tucson will be overthrown. Huh, that's bad news, right? Okay, so what's the good news? <laughs> Let's get to that in a second. And so Jonah gets into Nineveh. He proclaims the word of God. Now it says here in the, the, the latter part of verse 3 that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. What does that mean? That means the Hebrew phrase there, they used to, the, to describe like breath, you know, it means it's a highway system. So either it took three days to go all around um, Nineveh or it took three days to all go all through Nineveh. Regardless, if you wanted to see Nineveh, you needed three days to be able to see it, which is an exceedingly large city for its time. Okay, and so here he is in this really big place. And if you know anything about large cities, you kind of live in one. There's this urgency, this hustle and bustle, isn't there? Now, I came from Los Angeles. There's millions of people there, millions of people. And so Tucson, for me, was a small town compared to it. But my life in L.A. was nonstop. Every single time you're driving, you're fearing for your life. That's how it is, right? There's just danger around every corner. And so here's Jonah in this big place, totally foreign, uncomfortable probably, but nevertheless, he's obedient and he's proclaiming God's word. Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, and he was a day's journey in, and he called out, and this is the message, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, when you read this, or when you see this message, you're probably thinking, that's bad news. In other words, what he's saying is, whatever you are doing now, you need to realize that you'll soon face the judgment of God. And that day is nearer than you think. And that still rings true to us, too. That's what Jonah's saying. But I don't know if you personally find the hope in this message because at first hand at first glance it sounds like bad news doesn't it what is the hope in this message let me read it to you again in 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown do you see any hope there what is it miss carol you, you see it you that's right you have 40 days you see god could have been like evacuate right now whoever I want to save, like he did with Lot, right? Because tomorrow it's coming down, right? Or it could have been, Jonah, you're going to be part of the destruction too because you're rebellious in the first place. And once you get in there, I'm going to overthrow the city. That could have happened too. God could have done that, right? But instead, the message is in 40 days. That means we have 40 days to respond. Okay, well, how long does it take them to respond? Let's see. And, and so the people in Nineveh believed. Now, here's what I want you to see. And this is what the Lord brought to me. And I'm not going to lie to you. I struggled with this one because I was so exhausted when I was trying to really dive into this passage. Okay. But the first thing that the Lord just hit me in the face with right here is the consequence of the proclaimed word of God. Now, here's what Jonah did. He went into Nineveh and he proclaimed the word of God. That's what he did. That's what he was sent to do. Right. Now, what happens when you do that? There's three things that I saw here. The proclaimed word of God brought heartfelt belief into Nineveh and the Ninevites. It also ignited prayer and it produced repentance. Okay? 
So let's see how that happens. The first thing that we see is that the proclaimed word of God that Jonah brought, right, brought heartfelt belief. Let's read that, and that's in verse 5. It says, and then the people of Nineveh believed God. So here's this message. They know that Jonah is a prophet for some reason. I don't know what else Jonah is communicating with them, but they took him seriously to the point where they believed God. They took this matter seriously, all right? They weren't waiting around to see whether or not it was going to happen before they decided to do something about it. This really brought heartfelt, heartfelt believed. And so their response was to call a fast. Did you see that? Their response exemplified, exemplified true repentance. That means that they gave up their evil ways and the proclaimed word of God brought belief. That's, they really believed that this is what they had to do. They had to call for a fast and put on sackcloth. And it says, from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, the next thing that we see is that the proclaimed word of God also ignited prayer. Let's go, to, um, let's go into verse 8 here. It said that the word finally reached the king, or it reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. By the way, sackcloth and ashes, that was used to identify with death. All right. That was to say, hey, I'm dead to myself. I'm really mourning. I'm grieving. Uh, sometimes people did that when um, uh, someone that they, they mourned for had passed away or because they're truly at the end of themselves and they, they're asking for the Lord to forgive them or they really are exemplifying a true heart of repentance. That's when you dress yourself with sackcloth and sit in ashes and the king himself removes his throne. That means he's humbling himself before the Lord. And then he issues a proclamation and he published it through Nineveh. And this is the proclamation and this is where I want you to see how the proclaimed word of God brought or actually ignited prayer in this nation. And the decree said, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. He is taking this matter to heart. He's serious about coming to the Lord in repentance, about getting over their sin, about really leaving it behind, turning it around. He says, let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. That means guys, you knuckleheads, change your, change your hearts. We need to quit what we're doing. We have to knock it off. Otherwise, God's judgment will fall, up, fall upon us. And he encouraged everyone to call out mightily to God. See, it ignited prayer. And so let's see how they do this. So let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands and so what I love here is that his reaction was to pray. His reaction was to express his sincere regret and remorse for their actions, for his actions, started with his own, and then the actions of his nations. His repentance compelled him and others to pray. Did you see that? And what proceeded from that was repentance. And that's the next thing that I see. The proclaimed word of God brought repentance. It produced repentance. Let's continue reading in verse 10. Or let's finish... No in verse 9, the king says, Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Look at this. When God saw what they did, it says here, how they turned from their evil ways. That's, that's a confirmation of true repentance right there. God relented the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. True repentance is a 180 turnaround. That means I recognize what happened. I recognize what I've done. 
I recognize my sin and I don't want to do that or be that anymore. What do I have to do to be saved? That is true repentance. And God saw that they turned from their evil ways and he spared them. He had mercy on them. Isn't that amazing? Now, this is very applicable to us today. This is very personal to our stories if you, if you really look closely. And so I have three takeaways, or maybe. We'll see what happens here. Takeaway number one, before you leave today, really consider this. Don't be ashamed to proclaim the gospel to those around you. The word of, the God, oh, the word of God is the gospel, okay? That's what we have been called to do, to go make disciples of all nations, right? And bear witness of what the Holy Spirit has done to us. We do that by proclaiming the gospel, don't be ashamed to do that. There's power in the gospel. All right? The word of God and the message of the gospel can bring people to heartfelt belief, to prayer, and to repentance. Romans 1.16, this is Paul. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and to the Gentile. Okay. You believe? Salvation's right there. It's at hand for you, right? And don't be ashamed to proclaim it. Don't be ashamed to express it to people because who knows? God might relent and have mercy on them. All right? Our job is to declare it. Don't be ashamed to proclaim the gospel. God will do the saving. Amen? The next thing I see here that I just want to share, this is what spoke to me is, along with forgiveness comes restoration. You see, Jonah was forgiven, right? And he was restored to his position of, of prophet. And then he goes and he, he gave... God gave Jonah a second chance away from his rebellion and into ministry again. You know how many times that's happened to me? You know, so that speaks very close to me. There's many times where I've fallen short and then nevertheless, the Lord just restored. He's constantly restoring me and giving me an opportunity to be a better minister. He, it's, it's just a beautiful thing. And God forgave also the Ninevites for their evil way, didn't he? And their violence. And he relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. Along with forgiveness comes restoration. Now, this is a huge lesson for us to, to really think about is, is there someone that I haven't forgiven? Is there some a kind of grudge that I'm holding? You know, am I preventing some kind of restoration? God, help me just get through it. Help me not have to go through the hard learning process. Help me just understand your wisdom that I may live it through and help me do what you have called me to do. And God does call us to forgive. Amen. 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what do we have to confess? What do we have to expose that the Lord may forgive us and then cleanse us and activate us into the ministry again? Amen? Or maybe you've been in a slumber for a while. It's time to get up, get going, do what we have. Do the hard things and get going, right? And then takeaway three. This one's going to be a, as personal as it gets because it's going to come from you. See how I made it easy on me? Takeaway three. What is your takeaway? After reading chapter three, what is God teaching you? What is God telling you out of this passage? What is it that really hits home for you. You see, I gave you the things that I got out of this passage, you know, how the Lord was speaking to me in the moment. But what is your takeaway three? I'm going to leave that one entirely up to you. Amen.
don't, you're not off the hook yet. I'm going to close in prayer. And then we're going to find out what your takeaways are, okay? Hang on. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord Jesus, for this, this moment, for your word. Thank you for showing up and showing off all the time. Lord, we just love you and we, we thank you, Father, that you are merciful. You're great in mercy. I love the way Jonah say it, too, that you're gracious, that you're a holy God. You're merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And you're relenting from disaster. Thank you for second chances. God, we ask that you would forgive us and that you would restore us. And you would ignite us to be ministers, Lord Jesus, that we would confidently proclaim your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.